Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Off the Hook, airing on OffTheHookSports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. The Off the Hook podcast at OffTheHookSports.com or Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or wherever you go for your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Off the Hook with Dave Hooker starts now. Off and rolling on this Tuesday, a lot to talk about, including bowl projections where Tennessee might end up and a power poll that we want to break down with Amanda LaFrada. I am Dave Hooker. Good morning to you all and good morning, Amanda LaFrada. How are you? Good morning, Dave. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, I'm well. We have a big show lined up. Caleb Calhoun will join us, as he always does, from Off the Hook Sports and We'll talk to him about the press conference yesterday that I thought revealed a little bit more about what Josh Heupel really thought about Tennessee's performance on Saturday. And it wasn't the jumping up and down and all kinds of happy. It was way, way different. The tone of the press conference yesterday. So we'll get to that with Caleb Calhoun is the down and dirty at 30. It's brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden, Man Alive. It is worth the drive, and it certainly is. So let's go ahead and get to that right now. Let's start with Monday Night Football last night. 20 seconds to play, trailing by one. Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett chose to have Brandon McManus attempt a 64-yard field goal for the win instead of letting Russell Wilson try to lead a play on fourth and five at the Seahawks' 46-yard line. So, I just uh, astounded by that decision, and on one side and the other side, I'm like, "Well, that guy doesn't, you know, McManus is an experienced head coach, a lot of pressure. You don't know if a guy's going to be able to handle those snap decisions." But I thought that was an incredibly dumb play, and I know you think the same thing because you said it right before we went on the air. That was just goofy. It was, it was stupid, and I'm pretty sure that it was like the second longest field goal attempt in NFL history. Why? I don't, I don't know about attempts, but it, I think it it may have been. I, but it would have been the, I believe, the second longest field goal in in history. And why did you pay all this money to go get uh, Russell Wilson? And, yeah, and why would you do that, especially in Seattle? And you know, it's outdoor. It's not, you know, these these big kicks should take place in the you know in the indoor like domes and stuff. This is outdoor. 
what are you doing? Yeah. Or or at Denver, you would consider that with the yeah. uh, the different airspace that they have in the Mile High City. But no, I just thought that was just a bad decision. And it just makes me think of, of all the times that coaches are defined by those decisions. And uh, be it decisions that Nick Saban made last week to overcome Texas when you could argue they should have lost. Be it what Tennessee did. And it's adjustment to what Pitt was uh, going to do. And, you know, ultimately, Amanda, um, when I look at decisions, they have to be made really uh, in a snap, but they also have to be made with a, a broad foundation. So, for instance, I don't know if what McManus thinks of Nathaniel Hackett, the kicker. I also uh, don't know what he thinks of Russell Wilson's ability to uh, to get the ball out, get a few more yards, make it a shorter kick. And I, I think, though, that Russell Wilson's proven a lot. So what McManus thinks about Wilson to me is inconsequential because I would trust him with 20 seconds left to be able to get a few more yards, make that a makeable kick. And they chose not to do that, which was incredibly astonishing to me so i never ran down the clock and the like they ran they just ran down the the clock you had a lot more time you know what it reminded me of and and lane kiffin gets a whole lot of credit for that 2009 alabama game and for some reason this has come up two times in two shows but you know he got conservative on that final final drive if you remember he had about 20 seconds or so left maybe 18 that he could have gotten another playoff and decided to run it down which I thought it ended up being about a 42 yard kick if I remember correctly I thought at the time I'm not hindsighting it I thought at the time that that was a really poor decision by Lane I thought that he should have gotten a few more yards he had time and he didn't do that Uh, otherwise we may be talking about Lane Kiffin beating Alabama back in 2009 and Tennessee fans still frustrated by the fact that he left. But as far as some highlights from Tennessee's media session on yesterday, there was definitely a notable difference and noticeable difference with Josh Heupel, who was excited, fired up after the game. I saw a little bit of this on his coach's show on Sunday, but really Amanda, it was it was more a sense of I'm mad. I got to get my guys attention. So is some of this orchestrated to pump up a defense that did make a, a bunch of plays to keep Tennessee in the game? Probably. However, I don't think that he was really happy when he looked at that tape from the pit game. I think he was upset. And I think that came through in Monday's press conference. Yeah, I definitely think he's upset. And I definitely think it came through. I also feel that every head coach is orchestrated in some sort of way. You know, no one goes out there except if you're Jimbo Fisher flying, you know, by the seat of your pants, clearly. But nobody goes out there and you just just blindly gives an answer. It's always, okay, I'm, I'm doing this and there's a reason behind that. And I think that's a good look for Josh Heupel. I think it's a very good look. I think it's something that Tennessee hasn't had in in a long time. I don't know if you saw Shane Beamer's press conference, but it was it was not good. 
not good. I didn't see Shane Bieber's press conference. It didn't go so well for him. They were asking him about like his defensive backs or something. And he was like, I'm not quite sure. I didn't really focus on that part of the game. And I was like, you don't say you could say the, you could say almost any position, anything. And you wouldn't want to say, I didn't focus on that. That's kind of a red flag. So, um, getting back to Tennessee, I, I, a couple of notes that are definitely worth pointing out is that you know, we talk a lot about Jeremy Banks. Has, has he made enough plays this year? Is he living up to expectations? And probably not to this point. We talk about Jawan Mitchell and his very enigmatic issue off the field that nobody seems to be able to pin down and the fact that he hasn't played when will he play can we get an update on this dude blah 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 on and on and on but we really don't talk about aaron beasley who according to chris landry graded out at the highest you can uh, certainly check out chris landry's stuff on our youtube page which makes me want to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button we love the thumbs up we love the comments and but hit that subscribe button we'd greatly appreciate it but Aaron Beasley is second in the SEC with 22 sacks. Aaron Beasley is playing fundamentally sound football, and Aaron Beasley is making plays. Aaron Beasley is part of the reason that Trayvon Flowers got an interception in the back of the end zone, and it's because he was pressuring. Um, and ultimately, I know that people are excited about Jeremy Banks, but and they want to know what's happened with Dewan Mitchell, but I feel like, Tennessee fans are missing out on a really good story with Aaron Beasley, who is who is playing well and uh, should only continue to do so. Just a, he was a good player last year. I think he's a really good player uh, this year. And that's what Tennessee needs. They need the the people to emerge who, you know, like we always talked about, three star athletes that have come out and, you know, Josh Jacobs and Aaron Donald and Aaron Rodgers and all that stuff. They need these kind of guys to emerge the ones that you're not really expecting to emerge. And I don't think Beasley was expected to be this kind of impact player, but here he is. Yeah, I I agree. And good morning to all of y'all crazy orange, John, all of you. I certainly appreciate you for joining us each and every morning, each weekday at 8.30. So as far as some SEC awards, the Vols brought home some hardware. Uh, Hendon Hooker was named the Offensive Player of the Week. And I don't know there were a lot of great choices out there. It's not his best game that he ever played, but ultimately 352 yards of total offense and two touchdowns. So when you see that, that's really impressive. He was 27 of 42 for 325 yards for two scores through the air and got the balls back from a 10-0 deficit. So I can't really can't think of anybody in the SEC that's a better candidate. It was just kind of one of those uh, days in the SEC, one of those days where Bryce Young has a, a, a big day and they end up beating Texas. You're probably going to go that direction, but if some butts in that. It broke Jarrett Garantano's record of 166 straight attempts, straight throws without an interception. So now we talk about Hendon Hooker's lack of accuracy at times, but Amanda, it's worth noting that lack of accuracy isn't Brett Farvish. It doesn't turn into a lot of interceptions. So I think Tennessee can take that. Yeah, I would take that all day. 
because you can be an you know pretty accurate passer, but you throw a lot of interceptions. Nobody nobody enjoys that. Hey Joe Burrow, how are you doing? You know today from your five turnovers in the game on Sunday. Just saying. But if you're gonna be not as accurate, you want to make sure you're you're really not accurate and you throw it outside the defender's reach as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a horrible thing to to be inaccurate, but also not give up the ball. I think that's a good, you know, good quarterbacks keep a hold of the ball. Uh, a missed deep throw hurts you. And you say, oh, man, that would have been seven points. But the coaches say that uh, an interception can, in terms of field position of more, it can be worth more than a big misplay. They would rather you not throw interceptions, miss a couple of long throws, than maybe hit a couple more long throws and throw a bunch of interceptions. That was the ultimate dilemma with Brett Favre is that he had a bazooka. He had a ton of talent. He was able to throw the ball around, throw a ton of touchdown passes. But at the end of the day, he still leads the NFL all time in interceptions. One of the reasons that it's Aaron Rodgers is so impressive, frankly. Now you could argue he holds on to the ball a little bit too long at times. And then he throws the ball away, all that, but he only had four interceptions last year. So give me a guy that will protect the quarter, protect the ball. And I'll, I'll absolutely take that every day. Defensive lineman Byron Young was named the defensive lineman of the week in the SEC. Young, a preseason first-team All-SEC selection, notched four tackles, a game-high two tackles for a loss. So I'm looking at the list, and it just tells you a little something about the SEC, even if you didn't know any of the scores. So the people that the SEC, the players that the SEC tabbed as award winners – Hooker, Tennessee, Jordan Wright, linebacker, Kentucky, uh, Drew Sanders, linebacker at Arkansas. Uh, you did have special teams, Will Riker, the place kicker at Alabama. Uh, Dane Key, the wide receiver at Kentucky, was the freshman of the week. And then the offensive line consisted of Mississippi State, Arkansas, and uh, we mentioned Tennessee's Byron Young. So what does that tell us? That tells us that Georgia played an incredibly boring game against a way overmatched opponent and that Alabama struggled because it's very rare to go through the SEC awards and not see Alabama or Georgia mentioned on that. And there's no mention of them other than a place kicker. Yeah. And that's, that in itself should scare people because that's been Alabama's biggest weakness for the longest time. It seems like it didn't matter what, you know, rating a number one kicker in the country, they got to Alabama and they just shanked it like every time. So the fact that Alabama has is being looked at for their kicker is just completely backwards in college football right now. I think it is the most backwards thing I've ever seen. I'm not even going to lie. No, it it, it certainly is. So I want to get to today's tough question. And I mean, I want to kind of, if we can maybe re- focus on bowl games, because there's something I went, want to get to for that. Uh, Jerry Palm is talking about a possible Sugar Bowl. Now, to me, that would be as good as it gets. Okay, I, Tennessee's not going to make the college football playoff, most likely this year, almost assuredly. 
Sugar Bowl means a lot for Tennessee fans. You go back to 85, and I've said before, the second most beloved team other than the 98 national champion is the 85 Sugar Bowl team. So that would be monstrous to be in the Sugar Bowl. Everybody wants to be in the college football playoff, and I get that, but uh, the Sugar Bowl would be pretty strong. So let's go ahead and get to today's tough question because Butch Jones, who's Arkansas State team got hammered. He uh, he does his research. We do our research. We do our research, especially when it's a plugged up attorney. But anyway, today's tough question. Let's go ahead. What do we got for today's tough question, Amanda? I don't know. You're. <clears throat> I think you just took that one over. So you tell me what we have for today's tough question because you focused it in on some kind of sugar bowl, something. So I'm I'm here. Fair enough. All right, let's let's do this. Um, bowl games. Uh, let's let's take a look at bowl games and the the Sugar Bowl right now, according to Jerry Palm, has Tennessee in uh, facing Baylor. So that's always a Big Twelve matchup, and it would be one that I think. Tennessee fans would love and they would take over Bourbon Street and it would be a phenomenal scene and a phenomenal accomplishment in year two for uh, Josh Heupel. So let's let's ask this question. Uh, today's tough question brought to you by Big Orange Phillies. How about this? The Sugar Bowl. How could we place a question around that? I would go along these lines. Of, do you really believe that Tennessee can play in the Sugar Bowl this year because i don't I, I don't think that they're going to be in that position to play in the sugar bowl I, I think i've said before they're a non-win team i think they'd have to really luck out to get in the sugar bowl definitely alabama and georgia would have to both make the college football playoff so everybody slides up a notch but that's kind of where i'm leaning amanda what do you think okay so who made that prediction on it the- was jerry, jerry palm and From where? CBS Sports, Jerry Palm. Okay. Thoughts on Tennessee going to the Sugar Bowl? I'm saying Jerry Palm predicts Tennessee versus Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. See how likely you think that will be. Yep. Uh, Or I could say agree or disagree. How about, uh, yeah, I like it. Um, or can Tennessee make the Sugar Bowl, as Jerry Palm said? Uh, I'm going to say right now, no. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of things could change. A, a couple of things in particular, you have uh, you have an LSU team that looks like it's got major, major flaws, both as a football team and as a just culture there in Baton Rouge. So that LSU game may be more winnable. Florida looks definitely winnable. Those would be two of the swing games we talked about in the beginning of the year. So if they win those, then Tennessee, yes, I believe could be in the Sugar Bowl. I'm just not quite ready um, there to say that yet. So uh, as far as the Sugar Bowl, I can't imagine how excited uh, people would be. And want to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. Some other bowl projections that are out there for sec teams and as we go through jerry palms uh prediction 
Right now, he has, as you might imagine, Georgia and Alabama in the college football playoff. That is uh, not a surprise whatsoever. I mentioned Tennessee, Baylor, and the Sugar Bowl. So that would be, Amanda, the best – that is the best bowl game to go to that doesn't say CFP next to it, which is college football playoff. After that – He's got Texas A&M in the, the Citrus Bowl. I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see that one at all for a couple of different reasons. A&M might implode, and I know the Citrus Bowl folks. And now the SEC controls this now, okay? So they send them where they want to go. The bowl committees have pretty much been disbanded. All they do is put on some preseason games, so they don't really have the decision, the pecking order like they used to. The SEC just tells you so. The SEC can always trump them and say, Texas A&M, you're going to the Citrus Bowl. But wouldn't you rather have a an Eastern opponent? And if that's your second best bowl, do you want a team that might not travel because of a disappointing season that could be out there? Michigan State, Kentucky, and the Relia Quest Bowl in Tampa, which I think used to be the Outback Bowl. Odd press box there in the corner of the end zone, by the way. Uh, but... I could see Kentucky certainly making the Relia Quest Bowl in Tampa, the Bloomin' Onion Bowl, whatever you want to call it. I think that's a real possibility. As a matter the of Outback Bowl, yeah, it was the Outback. Well, I call it the okay. Bloomin' Onion Bowl at times because they served so much fried food. I felt like I was going to throw up, but um, I think they very well could be in the uh, what is it just called State Medallion Bowl now. But it is the Relia Quest Bowl. It used to be the Outback Bowl. Before that, it was something else. Um, I think Kentucky right now, based off what I'm seeing, is more likely to be in the Citrus Bowl, which is the better matchup, than to be in the Relia Quest Bowl. Um, yeah. I, I mean, mean we, we have A&M in the Dumpster Fire Bowl at the moment. Like, it's just not – them and Auburn can go into one bowl and they can play each other. I know it's just SEC, SEC, but my God, like it's terrible. So awful. Minnesota uh, versus Florida, according to Jerry Palm of CBS Sports, will be in the Music City Bowl. To me, that's the worst case scenario for Tennessee. If Tennessee ends up in the Music City Bowl in Nashville, listen, I know Nashville is a fun town and it's an easy drive and all that, but don't you want to be in Florida or New Orleans? To me, that's a major drop-off. Yeah, Music City Bowl is, I've always seen it as like, here, you were halfway decent, enjoy your trip to Nashville two and a half hours away from your school. Like, I've never seen it as something that, woo, we made it you know it's <clears throat> that's not that's the ultimate I don't know it's kind of like the here you go moral victory like I would if I were Tennessee and I ended up there I'd be pretty mad I wouldn't like it no nah. and and this is maybe fair or not fair to other teams but Tennessee is going to get preferential bowl selection because of two things they travel really really well and they have an exciting offense so no offense to kentucky but who would you rather showcase is hendon hooker in this high flying high tempo go get it offense or would you rather showcase kentucky in one of those major games so 
Uh, I don't think they're going to slip to the Music City Bowl, Amanda, but if they do, I think that would be be pretty disappointing. I think the SEC wants Tennessee to be better because I think the conference is better if Tennessee's better. So they would put them in a bowl with a bit more of a showcase appeal. I don't think they're going to fall to the Music City Bowl. But That's I, Ole Miss. Ole Miss should be in the Music City Bowl. Could see Ole Miss. I could see Ole Miss, and I could see actually Lane Kiffin liking that to try to recruit in Nashville where he does have some ties. So maybe that's a good fit. Now, Lane's not going to be happy with the Music City Bowl in and of itself, but I, that's the football team he has. He's relying on transfers. That football team could go either way for sure. So um, we'll get your thoughts if you want to post on the message board as far as what bowl would you like Tennessee to go to. So I'm kind of of the ill that I think it will be at least the Tampa Bowl, Relia Quest. And I think that Citrus is a possibility. And I think Sugar, because Jerry Palm's good. Jerry, Jerry Palm is good. I've known him for 20 years. He is good at projecting these things. But he would be the first to tell you that we have a very small sample size. So nobody really knows. But could Tennessee end up in the Sugar Bowl? That would be absolutely monstrous if they could. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. Hit that like and subscribe button so that we can be a part of your day. We're with you each and every morning, weekday morning at 8.30. And all kinds of great stuff going on the YouTube channel that we want you to check out, including the Volunteer Vault to visit weekly with a former vault that you will enjoy. And also... Uh, we have Chalk Talk with Chris Landry. We got a lot of good stuff up there, so uh, be sure and check it out. So how about coming up, we visit with Caleb Calhoun. That should be a lot of fun. We'll get his thoughts on the uh, upcoming um, game against Akron, which is not going to be much of a test. But still, when you're Tennessee and you play like you did against Pitt, you would like to improve. That's really the key as much as anything, Amanda, is show improvement, show execution, and show that you are a quality product like Honeybee Coffee. Why is Honeybee Coffee so darn good, Amanda? I mean, it's top 5% beans in the world. It is, I mean, it's just really good coffee. Veteran-owned, local to Knoxville area, and, and you can get it from anywhere. If you, you know, you can order it online. I mean, it's just, but it's really good coffee. At the end of the day, it's just really good coffee. Yep, absolutely. I agree with that. How about Caleb Calhoun, who had a great breakdown of Josh Heupel's press conference in which he was, I thought, visibly in a totally different space than he was Saturday night. This was not a guy that was all jazzed up and happy like he was about the defense this was a guy that knew he had an awful lot of issues to deal with so today's tough question is very simple predict where uh, jerry palm predicts tennessee will play baylor in the sugar bowl agree or disagree the three choices are nope not likely maybe and definitely where would you go choices guess what did i say Three choices. Four choices. Where where would only three have been voted on so far, I guess is what I'm looking at. So where would you go with this, Amanda? Do you think it's likely maybe 
not that far. I mean, I think it's maybe. I just, I, it's too early to tell, honestly. It's just way too early to tell. And that's what kills me about these, you know, bold predictions. Like we're in, you know, we're going into week three. Let's all, everybody calm down. Let's calm down. Very true. Jerry Paul makes his living off of that. And (laughs) so you can go ahead and book your flights now. Caleb Calhoun coming up next, back in two minutes. Great place to watch some ball over the weekend as Big Orange Phillies in North Knoxville, Maynardville Pike. You can get there very, very easy from North Knoxville or Maynardville. Big Orange Phillies back in two minutes with a breakdown of the balls meeting the media on Monday. Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli South subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. This is Al's Desk Barbecue Supplies, so come on in and see all the different rubs and sauces we have, plus a complete line of Green Mountain Grills. Don't be overwhelmed. We have plenty of help so you can produce the best barbecue in a maze for your family and friends. Barbecue is America's food. We'll do what we can to bring you all the best products. We're Al's Desk Barbecue, but Chattanooga goes to grill. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Scott, coming up now, he's got the smarts, a great guy who we've been very fortunate to come across and work with on Off-Road Sports, and he is fantastic. Caleb Calhoun covers the balls, and his coverage is brought to you in part by City Heating and Air Conditioning. That's cityheatandair.com. City Heating and Air Conditioning is absolutely fantastic, and it's all about integrity. And I want to take one second to tell all of those listening, all of those watching, is our business model to only work with people that we trust and have integrity and we believe in that we would use personally or have used when needed their services. So that's what I want to tell you about city, heating and air conditioning, and anyone that you see on offthehooksports.com anybody we talk about we mean that and uh it's absolutely true i mean this one of the most talented young journalists in the 
Spears is Caleb Calhoun joining us now. He and I had a wrap-up of uh, Josh Heupel's press conference yesterday. And, Caleb, let's just dive right into it. I don't think Josh Heupel is happy at all. No, no, I don't either. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily concerned about the future of the program of, of, of the team this year, but he we talked about it yesterday afternoon. He had a totally different vibe than the Josh Josh Hyper that was dancing in the locker room Saturday after they won. Um, and I, I think it's a safe bet that he was happy they won, he was relieved, and then like I think you brought it up probably before the plane even touched down, as you said yesterday. He was probably already watching the film and was just super heated and probably just got his blood pressure boiling <laughs> seeing all the mistakes because he was bit. I mean, again, this is a Josh Heupel that doesn't – he doesn't usually say a lot in his press conferences, and he was very open that they didn't have a good week of practice last week. Um, and that's what stood out to me. Coaches never say that because ultimately practice should be on the coach. But he did come out and say we didn't have good practices leading up up to pit a ranked team on the road how can you not have good practices leading up to a get i'm fine with it if he says that after Akron, okay but to say it leading up to a quality opponent really took me back yeah i agree um I, i'm wondering if you know i kind of thought about this yesterday because i mean the the concept of now sarkeesian is saying you know nick saban invented the term rat poison you know, infecting the locker room, but that shouldn't have infected Tennessee's locker room because they were playing, like you said, a ranked team on the road that won the SEC last year that beat them last year. But I, I, I'm wondering if in areas where sports gambling is getting bigger, I, I thought about this recently. Tennessee is one of those states where sports gambling has just taken off. And it was very, it was a lot of coverage that Tennessee was a touchdown favorite at Pitt. And even though there was a lot of cautious, I guess, for lack of a better term, optimism for people who cover Tennessee, I think I, I wonder if the spread got to the players' heads for them to think, oh, you know, we're six and a half point favorites. We're supposed to beat Pitt. So even though they're a ranked team on the road, we're clearly better. And I wonder if that crept in. And I wonder, I wonder if the gambling odds and betting markets is their own form of rat poison now in places like Tennessee where sports betting is so big. I mean, that's a thought. Yeah, that's that's a thought. Though I did go three, three and one this week, so I'm just throwing that out there. I was awful. Don't remind me. I was awful this week. I I learned a long time ago that is not my strength. So that is all, Amanda. Um, (laughs) Want to jump in there? So go right ahead, Amanda. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Do you think that, or how how refreshing is it, or how not refreshing is it to? to have a coach at Tennessee, because you've been covering Tennessee for a long time, um, to have a coach like Josh Heupel where he'll come out and it's honest, like he's being honest with, you know, media, with with the fan base, with the, we didn't practice well, we have this to work on, we need to do better here. And I understand getting caught up in the moment while he was in, you know, the, the locker room dancing after the game because they pulled out a, a big victory for Tennessee. I mean, it, it was a huge victory for them. So how refreshing is it to have this coach that expects more, that wants more, that, you know, that wants to accomplish more at Tennessee? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, 
last year I would have said it wasn't refreshing because he was very vague on a lot of things last year. Um, This year it has been refreshing. I think Josh Heupel expects more from his team this year. So I think he feels he can be a little more honest about how things are going and when they're going poorly. Um, I think we all know the mess that Tennessee was when Josh Heupel took over. And I think, I, I think if you got him in a room, I think he might tell you he was shocked they won seven games last year, <laughs> given everything that was happening. Um, and so I think it is refreshing. And particularly, not so much with Jeremy, with Jeremy Pruitt, although Jeremy Pruitt was, I mean, I, I wasn't crazy about his press conferences, but honestly the worst was Butch Jones because Butch, beyond his annoying cliches of champions of life and we're going to get 1% better today, just things that drove me insane – even when he was specific, he was lying. I mean, there was that twenty, there was that twenty seventeen moment where Shy Tuttle got injured in practice, and everybody thought it was from a fight. And I think it was from a fight. But Butch Jones goes out in the press conference and says, "No, he fell on a helmet. He gets hurt <laughs> falling on a helmet." <laughs> I I've completely forgotten about that story. It's like I I can't. Dan line, but at least be good at it. Yeah. And then he said he fell on a helmet and then he went right to lashing out at the media for the salacious quote unquote fake news that they bring in. And I'm thinking, okay, you're saying fake news. Nobody with a brain thinks someone got stitches from falling on a helmet. <laughs> wow. wow. And you know, they, they kept, and then, and then Jawan Jennings got suspended for calling the coaches liars and dismissed. And I'm like, well, Jawan Jennings was just telling the truth. We all thought that. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that just stuck out to me. Those, those stories from afar were kind of – if you didn't root for Tennessee, were incredibly entertaining. For those that did, I just want to hug them. And say, <laughs> oh, my gosh, man, that had to be horrible. Because if you remember, Jennings also went on that big social media tirade where – He's walking along and he's talking about his thoughts. And I was told he showed up to practice and he had not practiced at quarterback. And he said, "This is Vanderbilt. I want to. Uh, I want to play quarterback." And that's the way things are going to roll. It just bizarro. So, but Caleb, let's get to um, Tennessee. Let's get let's get back there and what happened yesterday. And one of the things that. I think it's completely overlooked. And I think there's a reason they brought him out there was Aaron Beasley. So everybody wants to say Jeremy Banks hasn't played up to par what they thought he would. He's preseason, all SEC and all that. Jawan Mitchell has the off the field incident that is very mysterious. But here's Aaron Beasley, who I mentioned earlier, provided the pressure that led to the pick by Trayvon Flowers. This is a guy that is playing incredibly well at the linebacker position. And unless you got another name, I don't know of anybody else that's doing that right now. Yeah. It's, it's the second week in a row. Aaron Beasley brought the pressure that calls the interception because he did it with Tamaria McDonald too, in the first game. Um, I think that um, I'm still hesitant. I'm still questioning if that's so much Aaron Beasley, as much as it is great designed blitzes by Tim Banks. And I mean, the only reason I say that is that like, I still remember the issues from last year. And I also remember, and I'm also seeing, and this is probably more on Jeremy Banks because Jeremy Banks is more of a physical linebacker than a coverage linebacker. I'm still seeing the linebackers get torched in coverage in the intermediate passing game. Um, 
again, now that's not as much on Beasley. It's been a little more obvious when Banks has messed up. That touchdown to Bartholomew on Saturday was com- was because Banks got completely lost in coverage. If you go back and look at that tape, I have no idea who he thought he was guard- guarding <laughs> in the in the assignment that he went to. So um, I think that – and Beasley is probably better at that because he was a safety. So he should be better in coverage than Jeremy Banks was. Um I think last year he may not have been as physical. Again, both Binks and Beasley are converted from other positions. Binks should probably have been a little bit more ready because he was a safety. I'm sorry, Beasley should have been a little bit more ready because he was a safety. Um, But I do agree. I've seen a lot. He's been in on a lot more plays this year than Jeremy Binks has. Um, But I, I do think that has more to do with the first couple of games. It seems like there's been more of an emphasis on the intermediate passing game from the coaches. And that's honestly what Mike knew and Pat Narduzzi like to live by. I think when you get into SEC play and you see a lot more, you see a lot more designed runs, particularly a team like Florida, that if they're smart, they use Anthony Richardson's legs more, which I I think they just forgot to do last Saturday. (laughs) Um, I think that's where you'll start to see Jeremy Banks have a bigger impact. So this Tennessee pit game, <clears throat> and you're you're an expert, you're a, an analyst, especially on Tennessee. You're probably the most knowledgeable knowledgeable person I know. I want to get your big takeaways from this game. What you think Tennessee should improve on? What you think that they are are doing well at? I mean, just just a general synopsis of of what you're thinking on Tennessee right now. So on a macro scale, I would say that. Um, I mean, the, the improvements that they need to make are they, they obviously can't have those mistakes in the punt game, <laughs> you know, muffed punt, blocked punt. Um, I think what they're doing well is, I think, one, the defensive line, I think, is playing really well. I mean, it's Amari Thomas had a couple of mistakes on, the, on certain gaps in defending the run on Saturday, but people forget Pittsburgh has a really experienced offensive line. They, you know, everybody for everybody thinks because they lost Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison that they were just going to fall completely off the map. But they returned a lot of talent elsewhere. And for the defensive line to do what they did against that offensive line, I think that's that that they're that's something they're doing really well. Everybody overreacted to the no sacks in the first game. That had a lot more, and Heupel's pretty much said this. That had a lot more to do with what Ball State was running than it had to do with what Tennessee's defensive line wasn't doing. So if I were to say the biggest strength of the team right now, it's, it's been the defensive line. And, if, and, and also, I, I hate to use this term too much because I think it's overused in sports, but you know, if you were to say the word clutch gene, Hendon Hooker was very clutch on Saturday. I, I mean, I, I can't overestimate having a touchdown, running, having everything go against you in that game, running for a touchdown in overtime, and then having it called back because of another penalty and then returning to throw a touchdown pass on the very next play. Um, and if you go back and look at a lot of the miscues in the second half, almost none of them were Hendon Hooker's fault. Hendon Hooker made a lot of mistakes in the first quarter, but most of the is- issues in the second half weren't on him. And so for him to come, so I would say the maturity and the mental toughness of Hendon Hooker on that just displayed right there. And then the elite play of the defensive line. Uh, Caleb, I, th- I think there's an underlying issue here that could really hurt Tennessee if they can't get over it, or it could hurt Tennessee if they decide to go against it. And uh, I actually heard Will West on the Sports Animal talking about this, and I talked to Chris Landry about it yesterday. You can hear Chalk Talk on our YouTube channel. 
Tennessee is not attacking the middle of the field from a passing standpoint. They're not running the slants. They're not running the deep digs. They're not doing those sorts of things. Now, I go back way, way, way a long time ago, and they had issues with certain quarterbacks. T. Martin was one. There were others. They didn't want to throw the ball over the field because of a lack of accuracy. So you're at a fork in the road, I believe, at some point this season that Tennessee and Josh Heupel either has to say, hey, we're going to attack the middle of the field. It might result in a turnover, but ultimately that's what this offense has to do to succeed. Or they're just going to stay with what they do, and that's attack the outside in the passing game. And I think there are limitations to that. Caleb, what do you think they'll do? Yeah, I – so I think because he took over for Joe Milton, I think we sometimes overrate Hendon Hooker's accuracy. Um, I'm not saying he's inaccurate, but he's not, you know, he's not the most accurate passer in, in college football. Um, well, I, 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 I wouldn't even overrate it. I don't think he's very accurate at all. I mean, I, right. I, yeah, I think Josh Hype, I think his accuracy numbers and people's oh, completion percentage, those numbers are inflated because guys are wide open in space. Um, I don't think he's really accurate at all. No, I agree. I don't think he's that accurate. I think his accuracy is serviceable, which, you know, at the college level is okay um, if you have the right schemes. I think if you watch Josh Heupel's offense, particularly though at UCF, he did rely a lot more on the horizontal passing attack. Um, that For Tennessee fans, I'm going to be honest, that's a little refreshing because Jim Chaney, when he was offensive coordinator, didn't know what a screen pass was and never used it, never ran it. <laughs> and so um, I think, um, but so I, I do think you'll see it a little bit more when it's needed um, because I mean, there's the other factor, you know, if you don't have to use it, uh, you're, you do run the risk of injuries now in today's game when players go over the middle, um, you know, defensive line, defensive backs are moving so much faster. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of it. And I, I do think it could be an issue at some point in SEC play, but, but again, you know, we talk about issues at some point. What are we expecting out of Tennessee this year? You know, we're not – at this point, we're, we're not expecting them to win every game. We're not expecting them to even really – I don't think – I think only the diehard orange color glasses fans are expecting them to even win the East or even compete to win the East. You know, I think most fans are hoping eight, nine wins, a top 25 finish, and if they're really, like, lucky, 10, 11 wins. But that's like I, – I, so, yeah, I, do I think it'll be an issue – yeah, I don't think it'll be an issue in every SEC game, though. I think it'll be an issue when they face the elite defenses in the league. Georgia, Kentucky, and Alabama are the big ones. And, yes, I say Kentucky because I think Mark Stoops is the best defensive coach in the SEC right now, and I'll, I'll, I'll live and die by that. That's not that's not a head coach. Uh, no, I know. I know. Mark Stoops is the best defensive head coach. Defensive. Okay, okay, okay. I got, I got you. So you're saying, okay. Now I, I get it. I, I can ask you. So a better defensive coach than Nick Saban. Have you guys noticed Nick Sa- Nick Saban's okay. defense the last few years? He's been he's been a little bit more focused on offense. I mean, I, I'm gonna I, I am gonna go here. It, it, Nick Saban's defense. I, I think Nick Saban is spending less time on defense than he used to in the past. If I'm going to be honest with you. I think at this point in his career, and I've seen it. I saw it with Philip Fulmer. I think at this point in his career, it's natural to spend a little bit less time on almost everything. 
Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not saying he's riding off the sunset, but goodness gracious, I'm pushing 50. I can't imagine at his age doing the exact same things he did 10 years ago. Yeah, and so let's think of the games that have cost him years that they haven't won national championships over the past few years. Last year, I mean, yes, there were some injuries, but it's Alabama. They have five stars on the third team, and they got torched in that national title game um, through the year. Let's not even talk about what Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson did to them in the national in the two national title games. And I mean, Saban has really been relying a lot more on his on his. You know, in 2015, after fighting and fighting and fighting against the no huddle offense for years, to his credit, he changed and adapted and he embraced the no huddle offense. I'd say he's at the stage in his career. I wouldn't say he's not caring as much. I'd say he's at the stage in his career where Bear Bryant was in 1970 when Bear Bryant rolled out the wishbone. Bear Bryant was a defensive coach for years. He, you know, he was. <laughs> that is such a good comparison on so many different levels. Um Anyway, go, go finish your thought. I just I got I got a little blown away by that. Go ahead. Yeah, Bear Bryant, you know, all only cared about defense for most of his career. And in 1970, know, knowing the need to adapt, he rolls out the wishbone and he spends the rest of his career mostly focusing on the wishbone offense rather than I mean, not that he didn't care about defense, but I think Nick Saban spends more time now learning how to keep make sure his offense keeps adapting. And so I think he spends a little less time on defense. Interesting. So SEC play, and I'm, you know, I try to keep myself out of conversations concerning Nick Saban or Alabama just because I don't want to throw in any kind of, you know, bias there. Um, But let's focus on the SEC as a whole. How do you see this shaking out? What do you really think of Florida? What do you, I mean, we saw some some games this weekend, Texas A&M, Florida, Alabama, what do you think of each of these teams that got either upset or, you know, were, were terribly close to losing? So I would say with Florida, I think that I, I don't know what to make of it yet because you're I, you're going to have growing pains with a new head coach. And so you could forgive that. I think the thing that's hard to forgive with Florida is they completely went away from their game plan to beat Utah which is, again, they didn't really rely on Anthony Richardson's legs at all. They tried to make him beat Kentucky from the pocket. Kentucky's got a good defense. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's one thing if they lost because they're not, you know, they're having trouble adapting to an offense and they're playing a really experienced team. But it's another thing if, like, that's already an early indictment against Billy Napier that he went, he completely went away from what beat Utah. Alabama, um, I'm just going to – I've been one of these people that I don't think Alabama, and I said this somewhat about Tennessee on Saturday, I don't think Alabama owes anybody any apologies for struggling to beat Texas in Texas against an assistant who is very familiar with Nick Saban, and we all believed Texas was going to be better this year. So I, I, I just, it's really hard for me to say, you know, oh my gosh, Alabama struggled with Texas. I mean, we're treating this like Alabama lost and Texas won. And I'm thinking Alabama still won. They beat a team on the road that we all believe is top 25 caliber. <laughs> and Yes, completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Everyone's calling Alabama like the loser's bracket, the winner's bracket. They're putting I- Alabama in the loser's bracket. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, wait, wait, wait. How do you do that? Amanda's yeah. trying to be nice. Amanda's trying to be nice. When she says everybody, she's talking about me. 
No, I'm not talking about just you. <laughs> I'm talking about other media outlets where like, oh, the winners and losers of the SEC, they put Alabama in the losers bracket. And I'm like, how do you put them in the losers bracket? And they're the only ones you put in the losers bracket that won. Like, how do you yeah. do that? No, that makes absolutely no sense. You're right. It's not fair. Both of you guys disagree with me. Unbelievable. Well, because, okay, this is, Again, I'm going history here, but 2014 is a very standout year for me. This is the one time I don't usually like when Nick Saban lashes out at the media and press conferences. For I mean, I'm, look, these are journalists making fifteen, sixty thousand, and he's making ten million a year. Like you can be a little bit nicer to these people asking you questions. But there was one point I remember it was Alabama had just lost to Ole Miss, and then they beat Arkansas with Blake Sims, fourteen to thirteen. And Saban was asked about how frustrating the mistakes are, and Saban just lashed out and. And he was like, you know, it really gets me upset when you guys act like, what's so wrong with us? Because we only won the game 14 to 13. And I'm thinking that was the year the entire SEC West went undefeated against everybody not in the SEC West that year. <laughs> and so it was the deepest the division had ever been. And he's on a weekly basis with a new starting quarterback having to face a team every week. And he faced Arkansas on the road where everybody was struggling at that time. And yeah, he shouldn't apologize for winning that one 14 to 13. He shouldn't apologize for beating Texas 20 to 19 when everybody said in the offseason that Texas was going to be significantly better. Somebody voted them number one in the preseason polls. I don't know who that person was, but so no one knows. They have not come forward. Yeah, they haven't. <laughs> uh, okay, we're, we're going to go totally off script here. So, because uh, I want to talk more about this Alabama thing. Um, but, but first, I want to remind you, Viles Automotive Group there on Callahan is an absolute fantastic place to go for a great car selection. And they've got the service and the automotive department. And uh, they are like the defensive Nick Saban and the offensive Nick Saban at the same time, except they're Tennessee guys. So they're right there on Callahan. Great selection fantastic service department and it's about integrity they want they need and they appreciate your business that's files automotive group so the question it was a, wasn't a question but jl just posted alabama's time at the top is on its way to an end well that's oversimplifying things because of course it is on its way to an end it was on its way to an end 10 years ago, but is how close is it would be the question. And is it trending in that direction? So Caleb, I want to get to you, but I want to start with Amanda. Who's she said, she's a, a, an Alabama fan does a great job of covering everything objectively. So she went to Alabama, went to Tennessee. Um, are we seeing a decline? Let me ask you this for today's tough Bama question. Um, is Alabama declining significantly? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> no, they're not declining significantly. We hear this every year after Alabama doesn't win a national title. Every time they don't win, that is that is literally the, you know, that's the standard at Alabama, which is insane to me. I mean, if it at any school, it's insane to me that that would be your standard. But every year after we don't, you know, hear of Alabama winning a national title, it's they're on their way out. This has happened since 2014. I mean, seriously, every single year that they don't win a national title, it's they're the dynasty's over. Nick Saban's washed up. 
It's always been this way. Alabama won a national title, not last year, but the year before. Let's calm down, everybody. Let's calm down. Still number one, you know, recruiting class, or at least in the top five every single year. Still bringing out NFL talent like no other. You know, I mean, you had this, literally this weekend, you had two Alabama quarterbacks battling it out against each other in the NFL. So everybody chill. No, it's not. It's not. They're on their way out. Well, we're all on our way out. I mean, let's be honest. You know, we're every day is closer to being on the way out. Just how long do we have until we get there? So, so Caleb, today's tough Bama question, and we're going to move on because I want to talk about the start time for the Tennessee-Florida game, which is a lot more exciting than the Tennessee-Akron game. Eh, Bama. On the de- the decline. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, I'm going to say maybe, but just hear me out. Just hear me out, Amanda. I'm listening. <laughs> um, no, you're good. Um, I do agree that based on the Texas game, that's not any evidence that they're on the decline. Everybody forgets this. Five of Nick Saban's seven national championships, his team lost a game during that year. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and I still remember when I when people first said this was 2013 when Auburn had the kick six to beat Alabama, and everybody was saying Nick Saban can't handle the new up tempo spread offenses. And then two years later, he he hired Lane Kiffin, and they adjusted, and they or a year later, and they adjusted, and he's won three national championships since then. So like makes no sense. They also have the number one recruiting class for 2023, I think, right now. Yeah. Here's where things are going to change a little bit and where it can be a little tricky. And you saw Nick Saban get mad about this in the offseason. And we're forgetting about it now because Texas A&M just lost to Appalachian State. But NIL money, I don't care what anybody says. It's going to impact recruiting. I don't care what regulations the NCAA puts in place. It's flat out impossible to allow NIL and to not have that be a factor in recruiting. There's just no way around it. Not only that, there's no way around it, around stopping players from leveraging that if they want to transfer to go somewhere else. And so I think Alabama is not, they're they're one of the better ones, don't get me wrong, but they are not positioned in terms of ties to wealthy business people that can just throw money at players. They're not as well positioned as Texas, Tennessee, um, Florida. I've thought about this in the past. I mean, Dave, you've covered longer uh, longer than I have. Isn't Knoxville probably one of the like among all SEC towns probably has some of the deepest ties to like the business community of any town in the SEC, I would say. Like there's a lot of big business in Knoxville and a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And if you're headed down the NIL road, is that kind of where you're going? Yes. Uh, yes, I think that Tennessee is in a unique position where they have the facilities, they have a, a big enough market in terms. I mean, it's the second biggest market. Uh, well, Austin now, if you if you include Texas, but the second biggest market in the SEC other than Nashville. And Nashville has Vanderbilt, so they're not doing anything. But yes, as far as financial support from corporate advertisers, I think that Tennessee is incredibly, incredibly well positioned moving forward in the NFL. 
I agree. I agree. And I don't think, I, I think that is the one disadvantage for Alabama. They're still Birmingham, but like they're in tough, and there, I'm sure there are some ties in Birmingham, but I just don't think Alabama can be as positioned as Texas A&M, who's got the Houston tie, Texas, who has the Austin tie, Tennessee, who has the Knoxville, and like Dave said, the Nashville tie. Um, because yeah, Nashville, the business community in Nashville is probably more Tennessee country than it is Vanderbilt country. Um, it's a lot of Alabama country too. That is true. Like, there is some in, it, some it, of it, these big cities. Well, I was born and raised Nashville, but some of these big cities, I think everyone's neglecting the fact that not everybody who lives in Nashville or not everybody who lives in, you know, Atlanta. Not everybody who lives in in cities are backing the same programs. But that's I, I would I, I agree, but you have to you have to combine that with the fact that as Dave said, Tennessee is in Knoxville, which is a huge market relative to other SEC schools with a big business community. That, and that is all Tennessee and Knoxville. Yeah, you roll up into Gainesville and there's not a lot of corporate cash out there. Um so Again, but if you're Alabama, too, you don't have to worry about any of that because they have the history and the heritage where, yes, they have Alabama fans everywhere. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of a a one in a million. I don't know that there's another school like that out there. But you saw like, you know, they they, Spire Sports did a ranking of like the five largest NIL initiatives launched by teams this offseason. And it was like Tennessee, Miami, Texas A&M and Texas, I think, were the top four, I think. Florida actually may have been in the top five, and I don't think it was because of Gainesville. I think they just smartly got out ahead of it. Um, well, Alabama's approach, and I know this because I tried to hire some of them, um, but Alabama's approach is that everybody gets a piece of the pie and it's spread out, which I want to go ahead and say philosophically, that's the way it should be. You should prove yourself. The, the left guard deserves some cash, maybe not as much as the quarterback, but I, I get all that. So that, that works for Nick Saban now because he's going to turn prospects into NFL players, and it could work for him five years from now. But the next guy coming in probably isn't going to be that crazy about it. He's going to want to do the same thing that Miami and Tennessee have done, and that is just get a boatload of cash to the best prospect and let the chips fall where they may. May not be fair philosophically. Life ain't fair. Yeah, I mean – how many times have we seen athletes get multi-million dollars endorsements the minute they're drafted? And that's all projection at that point. So, um, you know, it's, it's the best. I mean, if we're all capitalists, we have to be honest, you know, you should be allowed to make investments in players. And if they blow up in flames, that's on you at that point. Look at Baker Mayfield. Exactly. And John brought up a good point. Their boosters have been paying players for years. Talking about, I, I guess, Alabama, everybody's boosters have been paying everybody. It just wasn't quite as easy as it is now. So, Caleb, um, one other thing I wanted to ask you. 3.30 kickoff, that was announced yesterday. Tennessee will play the Gators, uh, not this Saturday, but next. And just curious, some of your uh, most memorable moments, either at that game or watching that game, Any, anything that stands out to you, about that game because I, I, you know, you're younger than me, but that I'm sure you remember and you have the the history knowledge now that that used to be it. That wasn't just the game of September 
in the SEC. That was the game of September in the country. And for many, many years, almost a decade. So just uh, thoughts on Tennessee, Florida, 330. What would a win mean for the Vols? And what are kind of your thoughts on that game? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, my coming of age as a as following Tennessee was the Tennessee-Florida 330 matchup. The It just felt like the world stopped when they played each other back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, it was just, um, so there is a little nostalgia there. Um, I had just on a personal level, I had an aunt who passed away um, this past August. Um, she, like one of my first memories of like really starting to follow Tennessee was the 98 Tennessee beating Florida, uh, watching the game with her upstairs in our old house. Oh, cool. Um, so, so it's, yeah, there, there's a lot of nostalgia with, with that three thirty kickoff. It's been, I think this is the 20th, you know, SEC on CBS started in 96. And I think this is the 20th time Tennessee and Florida kicked off it in, in the CBS primetime slot. As you guys know, sometimes that primetime slot was eight o'clock instead of three thirty. Um, but so I think this is the 20th time. I will say most of those times have been forgettable the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because Tennessee lost, but because a lot of the times the games themselves are forgettable and, um, but yeah, the 98 game was standout. I think the, um, I think the 2000 game, the Tennessee lost actually kind of is one of the most memorable in my mind because of just how controversial it was. Um, the Jabbar Gaffney not Jabbar catching Gaffney. the ball. <laughs> and Yeah. But I think what everybody forgets on that, that, you know, yes, Jabbar Gaffney maybe may or may not have caught the ball, but Tennessee's defense let them go 91 yards to score on that drive. And also the drive before with a third and one to get a first down. And you have Travis Henry who never lost a yard when he took a carry up the middle. Randy Sanders inexplicably calls a toss to try to clinch the game. I, and- I have two memories that stand out the most. If you want to go to that 98 game and one is watching uh, th- this pass sell through the air and thinking, well, that's a surefire touchdown to Travis McGriff. And then just out of like almost the corner of my eye. I mean, I was in the press box. I don't know if it's below my eye or left of my eye, wherever it was. And there's this guy named Dion Grant who just <laughs> shoots across the field way out of position on the back end and makes a one-handed interception. And then later that game, I don't know if he was covering for Steve Johnson, the defensive back. I remember after the game, everybody tearing up the field to get a piece of the field. And I was thinking to myself, you're tearing up your own field. This doesn't make any sense. And then I realized the players weren't upset about it because I got a big sweaty hug by Steve Johnson, who was a broadcasting major, as was I. So we had classes together and just the – I think there was shock and overjoy at the end of that game, but more shock than anything because Florida played Tennessee pretty well. They just made a bunch of mistakes. But, yeah. Uh, interesting. Funny enough. I have I, a, I think it, oh, sorry, Amanda. No, you go ahead. I have a story when you're done about Tennessee, Florida. Okay. All I was going to say was the thing that actually stood out to be the most about that 98 game, because I've gone back and watched that just a thousand times. I'm just going to be honest is the running through the team moment. There's a cut, and it's the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen, but that, that, but it stands out to me. There was a lot of talk that Fulmer entered that game just much more relaxed and calm than he had in previous years in Florida, and there is a cut of them running through the team, and Fulmer's just calmly walking to the sidelines talking to his assistants. When everybody else is really excited, the players are running through, and you can – you can, I mean, the, the CBS crew just cuts right on to Fulmer. 
And I mean, I don't think I've ever seen him that relaxed. And I don't know if that had an impact on the game or not, but it's just, it was just a weird thing to watch. Just go back and watch them running through the team right ahead of the 98 Florida game. Well, it's yeah. kind of funny you say that. I know Amanda has to go ahead, Amanda. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. You're good. This well, I, it's, it's funny you say that because Mondre Dickerson, if you remember a defensive tackle at Tennessee. I remember him. So I, I asked him you know, when you could get players alone and they would just kind of sparsely spread out. And I said, what's different about the Florida week as opposed to previous weeks? And he said, man, the coaches get really tight. And I was like, I didn't really realize at the time, you know, you're in an interview how bad that sounded for Tennessee's coaches. <laughs> Andre Dickerson was not allowed to do any more interviews for the rest of his career at Tennessee. That was the last time you heard from Andre Dickerson. Go ahead, Amanda. I'll <laughs> oh, you're fine. Um, I just remember, I guess it was 2015 when I was in the swamp and I think Tennessee was down. I don't know. I can't even remember. I was listening to it on the, on the radio and they went to kick and missed it, I think, to win the game. Is that 2015? That was 2015. That was where they blew the 27-14 lead. Yes. So I was – my sister and I had just gone uh, dress shopping. My sister and I were in the car just listening to it because we were – you know, obviously we are both Alabama fans and we both went to school there, but we're just sitting here listening to it. And the guy – and I don't even remember – who the announcer, who the radio commentator was, was so mad. I mean, this close to like just cussing out everybody on that radio station. I mean, just losing his mind. And it was hilarious just to listen as like an observer, like an observer, just to listen to him. Just, I mean, he was ripping everybody, the kicker, the whole, the whole team, the coaches, the AD, everybody. And we were dying in the car, just laughing, like dying. And not, not because it was Tennessee or whatever, just listening to this guy commentate it. He also one time was like, just run it up the butt. And we were like, oh, my God, we're done. Okay. One so I don't, the other one, I will say was. this, was my most memorable Tennessee Florida moment was the 2001 um, season obviously that was uh 9-11 and the game was moved back and the radio station i worked for at the uh, at the time had this bright idea that i should uh, go down and cover florida and of course none of their players or coaches knew me and wanted to talk to me so instead of covering tennessee they sent me down to uh, florida on a monday because everybody knew that was kind of like a playoff game to get to the sec championship game which tennessee did and then lost and uh, first day there, Monday, flight lands, get to my hotel, get a phone call uh, from the missus and says, I got to tell you something, but I think you should wait until you until you get home. Well, of course, you know what it is. She's pregnant. And so, so I've just been the whole week. The first person I told was Andy Staples, who is now with The Athletic. And we're at the we're at the um, we're in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium the next day on a Tuesday, waiting for some of the players to be available. And he just walked up to me and he said, "What's wrong with you?" Because I had this stunned look on my face. And uh, I told him, and uh, he still remembers it to this day. I talked to him earlier, well, at SEC Media Days, 
And he, I said, how are you, man? He goes, getting ready to celebrate the 20th anniversary of you finding out that your wife's pregnant. So, or Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 21st. Anyway, I feel old. Um, a trip down memory lane that was not. Worst not- line ever, that 2001 Tennessee-Florida line. Amanda, both teams were in the top five. The last three games have been decided by three points or less in the Vegas decided to make Florida 18 point favorites in that game. They moved the line from 17 to 18 and a half. And you will not find if you, if someone does the dumbest lines in Vegas history, that has to be number one. Yep. Maybe the app state Texas and then will come in. Come well, that, in there, that, that was just an upset, there. but that was just an upset, but you could see why they would have that line ahead of time. I mean, a line that they never should have set. 18 and a half, 18 yeah. and a half after after App State against North Carolina put up like 50-something points, 18 and a half. Yeah, I mean, but again, you still thought Texas A&M was going to win comfortably. Um, Not after their performance against whoever they played before that. Was that Texas State? Yeah. Yeah, is not pretty. It's not a pretty game, but continuing on. Coming up a power poll, Tennessee, where should they rank in, amongst the SEC's elite? We will uh, discuss that. He's Caleb Calhoun. If you want to watch football this weekend, I suggest Big Orange Phillies. Tell us about it, Mr. Biles. But first, Caleb Calhoun, what do we got cooking for later today on offthooksports.com? Uh, we got Alex Golish and Tim Banks, I think, are speaking today. Um, all right, a little bit about what they're seeing and talking about. Um, and obviously we have Josh Heupel in the SEC teleconference tomorrow. Um, it's going to be, you know, they're going to try as hard as possible to pretend that they're fully focused on Akron and not Florida. And <laughs> speaking spoiler of, alert. Speaking yes. of Golish, and we've kept you way too long, and I'm sorry. I know you got things going on. But speaking of Golish, scale of 1 to 10 that he's coaching elsewhere next year because he's going to get an opportunity if Tennessee continues to play well. But it's specifically after this year. Ten, he's definitely gone. One, no way he needs another year. I'm going to go six. Um, I'm going to go six. Um, And the only reason I'm going to go six and not higher is because I think Tennessee's offense is going to, and I said this at the beginning of the year, I think they're going to sputter in late October into November. And that's not just because they play Alabama and Georgia during that time, although that's a huge part of it. But um in Kentucky, but their their buy is so early that um they are going to be banged up severely when mid to late November comes. And I, I think that's gonna cause a lot of mistakes later yep. in the year. Great stuff. Certainly appreciate it, Caleb. We will talk to you soon. Look forward to your coverage on offthehooksports.com. Have a fantastic day, Caleb. Thanks. You guys have a good one. Now you Bye, Caleb. Tell us about Big Orange Phillies, Mr. Biles. Or actually, tell us about Biles Automotive Group. It's Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. 
Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. This is Steve Rain. I own the Midnight Oil and Michelin Tire Direct service station here in Ottawa. It's not a fancy place, never has been, but it's a clean place with clean restrooms and good folks who work here. We sell gas, fix cars, nothing glamorous, but we love what we do, and we're going to keep doing it for a long time to come. There's not many real service stations left, and that's a shame. We're the guys just like the guys back in your hometown. We'll fix your tire, change your oil, and put a new set of Michelins on your car. If you want a Twinkie, you'll just have to keep on going. Thanks for the business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. All right, let's get to it. With Amanda LaFrada, I'm Dave Hooker. Let's get to it. And we're going to take a look at the SEC power poll that was uh, put out by Saturday Down South. Where should Tennessee rank in terms of the power poll? We got message for bingo this day in sports history as well. Please hit that like and subscribe button. So the power poll was out by Saturday, our friends at Saturday Down South. And uh, Amanda, there were a couple of things, as, as you might imagine, that I would uh, disagree with. So we'll go ahead and dive into those right now. As as far as their thoughts, Georgia is number one in the SEC. I can't argue against that. Uh, I would have said that Alabama was number one to begin the year. But based off what I've seen, and I do believe in volatile polls. So if you know, Texas A&M loses to Appy State like they did last week. In, in my mind, they would drop about six spots. Now, when we get to late October, there's more of a sample size. But right now, I'd have Georgia number one in, in the power poll over Alabama. You? Again, because these polls really make no sense and way too early to call, I, I could see why people would put Georgia over Alabama. I'm not – I'm, you know – not at all surprised and not unhappy about that decision. Um, I would rather, you know, have my team be number two and everything than to be number one. Because one, you're just a sitting duck. Like you're just waiting for somebody to come along and, and tear you down. And everyone's rooting for someone to come along and tear you down. However, with the opponents that Georgia played, it, it you know, Oregon with Bo Nix, and then you have, you know, I don't even know, Samford, and they beat him by, what, 33? I, I just don't – these power pole things are way too early to call on, on these. Like, it's just – they're just way too early. We've played two games. 
Well, I think that Georgia or Alabama are certainly going to be one or two, and you can flip-flop those and we'll know a lot more, of course, when they likely play each other in the SEC championship game. According to the Saturday Down South poll, uh, Tennessee is in at number three. Now, this one's a little bit tough for me. And again, I think it's a coin flip. I would have Tennessee in at number three ahead of Kentucky and Arkansas because two reasons. One, I don't know how good Florida is that Kentucky beat. And with Arkansas, I'm not high. And I've said this from the get-go on South Carolina. So as far as that second tier, which I would call three, four, five, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, who you got at the three, four, five? So I would honestly, one through five, I would just have everybody equal. I would have Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas. I feel like all of their wins are equally. Well, wait. I mean, but wait, what? Tennessee and Kentucky and Arkansas aren't as good as Georgia and Alabama right now. Well, not that you. I mean, you don't know that. I feel pretty certain. Well, that's fine, but you're also going after, like, you're going based on last year's performances too, not necessarily just this year. No, I'll tell you what I'm. I'm going on, and it can be faulty, and I could be dead wrong. It's the eye test. I mean, when I watch those teams, the group of those top five teams, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas, I'd, I have no doubt that Georgia or Alabama are, are better than Tennessee top to bottom. Uh, now, they could Tennessee could pull an upset over either team in any given year. That can happen. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're better. I know that sounds goofy, but there are upsets. There are strange games that happen. That 98 Florida game that we just talked about was one. I mean, I'm not sure the best team won that day. So Alabama and Texas, you could watch that game and tell me that the eye test tells you that they're better than Tennessee, Arkansas, or Kentucky, because I can't. uh, Based off talent, yeah. I mean, I I would look at that game and I would say, you know, Byron Young's a a good player. Will Anderson. Bryce Young. No, Byron Young, Tennessee is uh, a good player and Will Anderson, even though they absolutely completely schemed against him, is still an incredible player and far superior superior to Byron Young. I don't even think that's close. I don't care what the stats say on that particular Saturday. When I watch those players, I don't even think it's close. So me, based off the eye test, I look at the two teams. I look at if you want to talk about quarterbacks, I look at Bryce Young, I compare him to Hooker. I think Bryce Young is a better quarterback. I think Bryce Young saved them last week against Texas. And so based off the eye test, no, I look at it as far as from a talent standpoint, and I think I can draw some conclusions. My conclusions may not be right three weeks from now. Maybe Will Anderson has been laying back on the couch eating Doritos all offseason. I don't, I don't know, um, but I don't think that's the case. And I think that he is an incredible talent. Um, and when I look at the the next tier, I would say that, you know, you're, you're kind of along the lines of, of, of teams that are trying to get in those significant bowl games. And I don't know that they will. And that would be Mississippi State, Florida, Ole Miss, who you said would be a good fit in the Music City Bowl. 
Texas A&M, South Carolina, LSU. Now, LSU is one that I've got in that third tier right now that, I don't know, they could come together and be fine. Auburn, Missouri, Vanderbilt. So I guess the way I would break it down as far as the power rankings, I'm not going to take issue with where one team's ranked above the other or not, but I would say my tiers, based off what I've seen, the old eye test that can be faulty, are Georgia and Alabama. And so far, I've got Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas on that second tier. Then I've got State, Florida, Ole Miss, A&M on another tier. LSU is the toughest one of the group to me. Uh, They could be in the third tier or the bottom tier, depending on if they implode. But I think the bottom tier is clearly uh, South Carolina. I don't like their roster, never did. Auburn, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. So that's just kind of how I would have it tiered out. Um, But we get to argue from week to week about who's going to be higher or not. Yeah, I mean, I I have I have it in different tiers. Lay it on me, sister. Okay, so I have those top five in one tier, based on eye test, based on watching them perform. And I know you said that Bryce Young is a better talent, and Will Anderson's a better talent. However, the way that they performed as a team wasn't better. It wasn't better. It, oh. There were a lot of holes. There were a lot of problems going forward. There were a lot of penalties. So I don't see I don't see a solid reason to put Alabama or Georgia above everybody else, especially not that Kentucky win against Florida. That was that was very, very impressive. I don't I don't care what you say or not you, but anybody says that was a very impressive showing, especially in the swamp with Kentucky. The Arkansas over South Carolina, South Carolina is not great, but they're also not terrible. So that was impressive to me, especially since I did not give Arkansas a lot of consideration before the before the season started. And then you have um, the Tennessee over Pitt in a hostile environment, winning in one overtime. I just just based on eye test, I put them all in the same category at the moment because again, we're only two weeks in, and I think. Coming up to that fourth week, we'll really be able to see a divide there. I'm going to go with just the bottom at the moment. We'll go with, obviously, Vandy. Vandy looks like Vandy. Missouri looks awful. Um, Texas A&M lost to App State, but the main issue, and it's the worst quarterback rating in the SEC from week two, is their quarterback position. That's a huge problem at Texas A&M, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, LSU seems like a dumpster fire to me, just from the outside looking in, especially with all of the problems they're having regarding their players, personnel, stuff, you know, just stuff outside of really the football field. That seems like a big problem to me. So I would put them in the bottom tier and we'll just go ahead and throw Auburn in there as well even though I'm not sure if they're in the middle or the bottom, I would say more towards the bottom, but then everybody else kind of falls <clears throat> in the middle there. Those are my tiers. I have three. So you would have in the, you would have Alabama and Georgia. You would have any other team in that their tier. I would have Alabama, Georgia, 
based on just this season, based on eye test, based on what they've done against opponents, I would have Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas in the in a top five tier, just based on what they've done. Well, I mean, I, <clears throat> I hope you're right because that would be a really compelling year in the SEC. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Alabama and Georgia are going to wax most of the teams they play, including those in the SEC. But again, uh, the eye test can always be faulty. There's no, there's no question about that. But that's, that's the way I see it now. It's kind of a two, and then another group, and really LSU. Like I said earlier, and this is a team that Tennessee is going to play in Baton Rouge, <clears throat> is the biggest X factor. Could they get everything together, and from a corporate culture standpoint, and come out and, and play better? Sure, they could. Do I think that'll happen? Wow. When you've got a player that's saying I'm, you know, I'm out. I, a player in, uh, that is already talking about transferring, I doubt it. I no, doubt it. I mean, that that's a cultural standpoint, and that's going to be something a lot harder to adjust and a lot harder to change in a short amount of time than, you know, personnel, than who you're putting out there. The cultural aspect of what's happening at LSU is, is, and Tennessee fans know this more than probably anybody, is a bigger factor than who you're putting on the field at one at any given time. You can have, like, for example, App State. You can have a team that plays as a team that has a common goal that that meshes well on the field, you know, outside of the field. That everything is is cohesive, and then you can have a Texas A&M team with multiple four and five star talent just completely crumble. But the cultural aspect of what's going on. And I think the Texas A&M has a cultural problem. I think as we've seen with the multiple videos, just surfacing through on, on Twitter. Um, I think that they have a big problem and I think LSU has a big problem cultural wise. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, and that probably if you're if you're an LSU fan and you want to be realistic about it, you're hoping that gets fixed by next year. Much the same way when Nick Saban took over Alabama. I think they what they what they finished seven and six that year, I believe. The very his, lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. And um and and they I've mentioned before they had to kick off their probably their best defensive player, maybe best player all around at the beginning of the year because he was selling cocaine in the parking lot. I, so I think if you're, excuse me, a realistic LSU fan, that's what you're hoping for is not, not for players to sell cocaine in the parking lot, but for a kind of clean house and be respectable because Ed Orgeron ran that culture into the ground. So I think that's what you're hoping for is a – uh, a, a culture change, you enter next year, the bad dudes, if you don't like them, whether that's Booty or whoever it is, they're gone, they transfer, life changes, and you're respectable this year. Now, you don't want to win five games, okay? Don't get, don't get me wrong. But no. really, it's the long play with Brian Kelly because I, the more I hear about what, what was happening under Ed Orgeron, the more I think that they have – or had every bit as big of a mess 
And that includes all the way up to the athletic director and president of the university position. They had every bit as big of a mess as it did last year. So we got time for one message board bingo. Can you can you throw that out for me? Let's go message board bingo right now where Amanda LaFrada, she reads a a message from a poster. And I try to tell you which school it's from. And I've gotten a little bit better. I'm proud of myself. It's called practice like Allen Iverson message board bingo is brought to you by the mattress place the mattress place it's not about gimmicks it's about 30 to 70 percent off each and every day that is the mattress place it's there on chapman highway you wouldn't even know it it's just a couple of miles away from downtown so you can do all your mattress shopping supplies there so uh amanda lafrada message board bingo is all right so sean payton Write a twelve million dollar check and make him tell you no. Sean Payton, write a, uh, that. I'm gonna go with Nebraska. Yep. Daha. One and no. One and no. Look at me. Well, I was the only coach fired at this point in the season. I don't know that I should be really excited about that. Uh, for those that might be traveling to the Chattanooga area, don't forget about Pedigo of Chattanooga before we get to this day in sports history. Pedigo Chattanooga, locally owned store where you'll be treated like family, the region's foremost electric bike experts. That's Pedigo of Chattanooga. Crazy saying, darn good job, Hooker. Hey, man, I'm just trying to be me. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to get by. That's, that's the best I got. And I want to say thank you, especially for the person who jumped on the message board and promoted another podcast during the show. That's really cool. Um, and lastly, <clears throat> this day in sports history, I want to give a tip of the cap to the coach. Uh, Johnny Majors uh, passed away on this day in uh, 2020, and he was, of course, a coach at Tennessee. We just had the Johnny Majors Classic. He passed away on this day in 1985. Uh, so uh, God bless his family. Just an incredible man to be around. A lot of fun. And also a score that comes up time and time again. Georgia Tech coached by a guy named John Heisman. Yeah, Google him. He might have a trophy named after him. Defeated Cumberland 222 to zero. That's the most lopsided score in the history of U.S. college football. So what do you say to your team if they get beat 222 to goose? 222 to goose. <laughs> zero. Let's rally around this and come back stronger next week. Oh, say, let's get out. Let's absolutely get out of here. Disband the team and focus on baseball. Have a uh, fantastic day, evening, afternoon, morning, night, whenever you're watching for Amanda LaFrada. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.